Good morning and welcome to the Coffee and Cap Rates podcast, your go-to source for New York City's latest commercial real estate insights. This program is brought to you by Ariel Property Advisors. Thank you for joining us for Coffee and Cap Rates. Our main program today includes a presentation about New York City. And right after that, we're going to jump into a panel discussion with our esteemed panelists who agreed to be here today. Rob Decky from Invesco, Sharif Mitchell from Dantes Communities, and Brian Haber from PCCP. We're truly grateful for your participation, and thank you so much for contributing your time and being here today to educate us. I want to say a special thank you to my colleagues, David Baruch, Adam Pollack, Remy Mendel, and Ivan Petrovich for putting this presentation together. Our company, Ariel Property Advisors, is a real estate investment services company that has the passion for data. We found that building owners are interested in specific knowledge when they want to sell, refinance, or recapitalize their buildings. Yet, this information is not always available. And so our research analysts and brokers turn that excitement for data into insights that our clients can leverage and allow for the most effective transaction execution when working with our teams. To get our latest insights, please visit our website and you can download all of our reports. And now it is for free, so please take advantage of that. Our company, our real property advisors, is also thrilled to be a part of a larger community and over the years partnered up with Legal Outreach. And we love the organization because Legal Outreach truly raises the bar for all of us as a community and they're a true New York organization. I've been especially impressed by the founder, James O'Neill, and I'd like to invite James to give us a few words of wisdom about the organization. James, the floor is yours. Thank you so much, Simone. Really appreciate the support that we've gotten from Aerial Property Advisors over many, many years. And as many of you know who've attended previous events, Legal Outreach is actually a college access and college prep organization. Our mission is to change the educational direction and trajectory of urban youth. How do we do so? Here are the words of three of our students who've graduated and completed our program and are now in college. I don't think that I would have been as prepared for college without alone. I think a lot of the programming fills in the critical thinking gaps that I personally didn't get from my high school curriculum. The people that I see around me are people that work cleaning houses or like doing jobs that don't necessarily pay you as well as as you deserve for the amount of work that you do. And internships were like really useful in order to see like how much we could accomplish. I didn't know anything about the law or like the legal system or have any ideas of the opportunities that I could pursue through law. So the impact of the program from the beginning to the end and the people that I've met through the program has definitely changed the course of my life. So there you have it. Three short and sweet statements from legal outreach graduates expressing their appreciation for the impact that the program has had on their lives. In like manner, I'd like to take this opportunity to express my thanks to Aerial Property Advisors for partnering with us to help produce these types of results. We couldn't do this work without committed partners and sponsors from the private sector. I'm also grateful to many of you who are in attendance today. 
because you were willing to take two minutes out of your day back in October to vote for us, Legal Outreach was chosen as the Chick-fil-A Northeast Region True Inspiration Award winner for 2022. By casting your vote, you helped us secure the first place prize of $150,000, which is really being used to support our programs and our students. Finally, if you're interested in becoming more involved with us, there are a couple of ways you can do that. Obviously, you can always donate to the organization. All you have to do is go to our website, which is legaloutreach.org. Or if you would like to become more personally involved or have your company become more personally involved, just contact me directly at jonil at legaloutreach.org. So again, thank you all so very much for supporting us. And we're proud, again, to be that True Inspiration Award first prize winner. Thank you, James. And thank you for bringing these videos and showing the wonderful work that the students are doing. I can tell you from our experience, it's one of the more rewarding internships that we have here at Ariel, where all of our employees, analysts, and brokers get around that effort and get engaged in um, really trying to raise the bar. So thank you for what you're doing, James. And I, I recommend that you touch base with James and get to know more about the organization if you have passion for what they do. So thank you for that. We're going to start with a presentation about New York City is going to take about 15 minutes. So let's get started with a New York City presentation. And here we go. Yes, uh, be dramatic, I know, but I couldn't help it. Uh, so when you look at the vacancy rate and other market indicators over a time period, to me, it looked a lot like an EKG of a patient who suffered a heart attack. And that was our New York City in 2020. The good news is that we survived that. New York City survived that and started making its way towards real recovery last year. So how did the vacancy rate decline so quickly? The lower rents contributed to people coming back at the fourth quarter of 2020, but the availability of the vaccine was the tipping point when people started migrating in a bigger way in 2021. As a result, vacancy rates dropped below 2% and residential rents grew by 24%. To me, that was a very encouraging statistic, but the next set of data got me really excited. And that was all about condominium sellouts. The third quarter of 2021 has been the highest in number of condo sales in the past decade. And that momentum continued through the fourth quarter and continues so far this year. But in addition, condominium pricing jumped 7% compared to the year before. And for those of us who want to write off 2020, it was still 4% above 2019. And so very strong residential recovery in New York City in a very short period of time. When you look at fundamentals and stronger fundamentals, it brings us to discuss the investment in the city. And that was $28 billion or 42% more than 2020. 
still 2021 was one of the lowest years in the past decade when it comes to dollar volume of transactions. And I wanted to learn more about any momentum moving into 2020. And so when we looked at contract activity, we found that 2021 ended up with billions of dollars in contract going into and expected to close this year in 2022. And that's in addition to a very robust fourth quarter. In fact, the best quarter in the past six years. So the momentum is here for a great investment sales market, we believe, in 2022. Now, we all know that leverage drives real estate, so we wanted to take a quick look at the lending environment in 2021, and we realized that U.S. capital markets are back in a big way. After a real slowdown in lending in 2020, lender volumes have rebounded across all product types throughout the country, and New York City was no exception. Yet the cost of capital dropped amongst all lending institutions as a result of a super competitive lending environment, as well as very low interest rates. And so our capital services professionals placed bridge loans as low as 5% and a little bit less than 3% in some cases of bridge to perm solutions. So very low interest rate environment and very robust one last year. Now, investors' appetite in New York City was diverse. So let's talk a little bit about asset classes. And we start with the multifamily asset class because we believe it's the lifeblood of investing in New York City. And multifamily investment in New York City grew to $7.2 billion last year, a 56% year-over-year increase. Yet the market was a tale of three segments, luxury buildings, affordable housing, and rent-stabilized buildings also this time around. In the luxury apartment segment, Brooklyn and Manhattan led the way. It's usually the case. RXR in Brooklyn, for example, purchased the residential portion of 87 J Street for a reported $222 million. And in Manhattan, two large luxury apartments went into contracts, remember the momentum, went into contract in 2021 and are ready to close this year. One of them is the American Copper Building that is being sold to Black Spruce Management for $850 million. The other building is Gary Apartments or 8 Spruce Street, which Blackstone is buying for $930 million. So again, very strong momentum going into the year in the luxury apartment sector. The second segment, which has done extremely well throughout the pandemic, is affordable housing. And in 2021, consisted of 25% of all multifamily transactions. Two large transactions that took place is the Starrett City portfolio in Brooklyn, which was a partial interest sale that totaled $1.8 billion in total capitalization and pretty much the largest sale of the year. And the Bronx 2000 portfolio, which our company represented as a broker and sold to Invesco and Fairstead and closed for a reported total capitalization of 350 million. This was a project-based Section 8. Now, if you want more about momentum, you can talk to my partner, Victor Sozio, who 
is leading now three other nine-figure affordable housing sales, which again speaks for the momentum in the multifamily market and in this specific segment as well. Lastly, and after a few years of very low transactions in the rent-stabilized asset class, because of HSDPA, because of the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act of 2019, we saw a year where we could enjoy some clarity when it comes to pricing. In essence, sellers, buyers, and lenders became a little bit more comfortable pricing rent-stabilized assets. About 20, 25% of this specific segment was in rent-stabilized and most of it in smaller deals. Now, we chose to put two larger deals here for you as an example. One is the Briarwood portfolio and another one is another Queens deal that was predominantly rent-stabilized that sold in 2021. So as a result of these investments, we remain bullish on New York City's multifamily investment moving forward. And multifamily pricing represents another compelling argument for investors. And the detailed pricing is in our reports. But here in this presentation, we focused on Manhattan below 96th Street for multifamily pricing as it is a leading indicator. And pricing in that sector increased on a price per square foot year over year. And the reason is the improving fundamentals, the higher rents, the lower vacancy, and so on. Still, when you look at the 10-year chart, you can see that the average price per square foot in 2021 was at its lowest point compared to the rest of the decade. Therefore, we expect that pricing will get stronger for multifamily in New York City in 2022 as investors realize the lower bases in New York City. Now, it's all relative. And a very smart man said that before. And the national pricing for multifamily improved throughout the pandemic. Cap rates have dropped over that same period of time. Yet in New York City, pricing actually declined as cap rates went up at the same period of time. In fact, for the first time in a very long time, we see this gap inversion in cap rates between the national multifamily and the New York City multifamily market, which to me is very interesting. And so this is another observation that the multifamily market in New York City might be undervalued today. So if multifamily is the lifeblood of investing, land is the foundation, and this time foundation means a lot, as the 421A tax abatement is set to expire in June, and we all know that it is not financially feasible to build residential rentals without that tax abatement. But the governor, to her credit, provided some clarity as to what the tax abatement could look like. Still, developers need the certainty when it comes to buying land and building residential rentals. Therefore, we might see slowdown in land transactions in locations that are slated for residential rental development in this year. You might ask me, what about the condo or prime condo locations, prime land locations? And I hope you got a little bit excited when we spoke about the condo sellouts, which are usually an indicator for land prices and transactions. But when we reviewed land values, very similar to multifamily, pricing showed no growth last year. In fact, land prices in Manhattan were at one of its lowest points in a decade. And so we believe that land 
represents a great investment opportunity and might trade at a premium in 2022 in prime Manhattan and Brooklyn areas. So we spoke a lot about residential. Let's talk briefly about retail, office, and hospitality. And retail suffered pre-pandemic, and the pandemic accelerated some underlying issues in this specific asset class. When we looked at the Google Mobility reports, we were encouraged to see that there was 57% growth in retail. And we also saw that restaurants did 4X the amount of reservations over the course of 2021. We're still below pre-pandemic levels, about 30% below pre-pandemic levels. And for that reason, much growth is expected in that arena once the pandemic subsides further. Office attendance got hit hard during the pandemic, did grow in 2021, yet office attendance and absorption, very similar to retail, are well below pre-pandemic levels and affected transactions in general. There's an exception to that rule. Well-located office buildings, prime tenancy, have benefited even in 2021. So an example is 4419th Avenue, which sold for over a billion dollars, over $2,000 a foot. It's a class A building with corporate tenants like Peloton. The last thing is just a word about travel, tourism, and hotels. This is one of the segments that is an inseparable part of New York City's economy. Hotels significantly lack behind pre-pandemic fundamentals, unfortunately. And therefore, we do expect a major wave of economic growth in New York City when this specific sector recovers, but it might take months, maybe even years. When it happens, it's going to be positive for the city. I don't think it can go down even further from where it is today. Bright spot is industrial warehouse and self-storage. 2021 has been a banner year for that specific sector. About $5 billion of transactions, close to pretty much the best year in 10 years. One outlier transaction was the Manhattan mini storage transaction that was sold for a little less than $3 billion. But even when we take out that transaction, the statistics show strong industrial warehouse self-storage statistics. And in addition, there has been some related transactions this year and in prior years that are in the pipeline for development. And therefore, we do see strong growth continuing in industrial warehouse and self-storage moving forward. That brings me to the watch list and the brief takeaway. And the watch list in New York City consists of some macro items like interest rate and inflation, yet the real uncertainty in the city comes from COVID-19 and the political environment. And so when we talk about COVID-19 or the COVID variants, at this point, experts are telling us that we're at the tail end of this pandemic. And we at Ariel, being optimistic, hope to see you in person in July for our next coffee and cap rate presentation. The local and state legislation is a little different. One of the things that is on investors' mind is the good cause eviction, which is considered a universal rent control. And again, investors are watching carefully to see what Albany does about it. Mayor Adams, people are telling us it could be great news for real estate landlords, but also great news for tenants, as he's a a pro-business, but also pro-affordable housing. Both are needed in the city. We spoke about the 421A, the need for clarity, and certainly there, the J51 tax program was reinstated by the city. We think it's great for landlords and tenants as buildings could be improved. 
And local low 97 is the energy efficiency bill that's going to come in in the next few years. It's a big to-do for landlords, improves their buildings, improves their energy efficiency, and a must-do. You can use CPACE lending for that, which is a specific type of lenders, and we can help you navigate this if you need as a landlord. Yet the more obvious items on the watch list is, you know, interest rate hikes, and that means higher cost of capital, which is not a great thing for real estate, clearly, and inflation. Inflation could be good for real estate as real estate is considered inflation hedge, therefore can be viewed as an accelerator for activity moving forward this year. And I bet that we saw some of this activity last year as people projected the inflation coming in. And the last thing on the watch list is the weaker dollar, so to speak. And we've seen international family offices and high net worth coming here. New York City is considered a safe haven. And so we believe to continue to see the same money from international resources coming here because of the weaker dollar. The one takeaway is that New York City's real estate showed very strong signs of recovery, but still could be somewhat undervalued. And the numbers and investor sentiment tell us that that recovery will continue through 2022. So from a New York City perspective, we are very bullish on the real estate market and moving forward. And this really concludes my presentation. We all at Ariel look forward to speaking with you and your teams very, very soon. And I want to remind everybody on the call that we're doing this in partnership with Legal Outreach. Please check them out. They're a fantastic organization and we're grateful for you being here. So thank you so much. And this concludes our presentation and we'll continue to talk soon.